0: Well, if I were to stand here this morning and point out to you that water is wet and fire is hot, you would certainly agree with me and then probably sarcastically congratulate me for being Captain Obvious. When I read Second Corinthians from the 21st century vantage point, I think the Apostle Paul is playing Captain Obvious. He's just pointing out the basic realities of the Christian faith. False teachers, fake apostles have crept in and they're saying things that even basic Christianity or basic Christians should know that that's not right. They're saying that Christians shouldn't suffer, never mind the fact that they crucified Jesus. Uh, that Christians uh, should be healthy and happy and rich and everything is going wonderfully if you're really blessed by God. Well, never mind the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead and promised that we would suffer now until we're glorified and raised in the future when he returns. These are just basic, captain-obvious kinds of things. Where do do Christians find their ultimate comfort? In their here-and-now health? in their here-and-now success, Captain Obvious Christianity says Christians find their ultimate comfort in the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead, and he promises that if you trust in him, you too will be raised from the dead. So Second Corinthians is a great letter for us, not because it's giving us anything new, but because it seems that we're so prone to drift. It wasn't just the Corinthians that had this problem. If you, are, if you look at God TV or religious television, uh, those people are, are, are making their millions and millions and millions of dollars because lots of people like us are sending them money and they're busy telling us that we should be healthy, happy, rich. It's crazy. It's crazy. So maybe you're not crazy. Maybe you, you have all this sorted out, but something tells me that you know people you could help. So I hope this helps you to remember the basics. I hope it helps to equip you to help your friends maybe or family members to remember the basics. The ultimate is Christ and what he's done for us, not the other things in the in-between time. So if you'd look with me this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at our ultimate hope, our ultimate rest, and it's going to be resurrection rest. And we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. So if you have Second Corinthians open, we'll look at chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And I want to tell you ahead of time that in verse 9, he really seems to get to the, to the ultimate matter of comfort, and that's the fact that Christ raises the dead. So I think everything is hinged on that, everything relates to that. Let's read the whole section, but keep in mind he's, he's moving toward resurrection for ultimate comfort. Follow along with me now as I read aloud beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. tried my best to come up with a nice outline to make it easier to follow, and I gave up. I think it's easier if we just work our way through the passage, realizing that the, the centerpiece of it all, the exclamation point, the, the hub, if you will, is that God raises the dead. And so amidst the suffering, where is our ultimate source of comfort? Amidst the suffering, our ultimate source of comfort is we trust in God who raises the dead the dead who trust in Christ. And so let's keep that in mind as we work our way through the passage and we can kind of see straight and understand that we suffer in this life. We suffer because it's a broken world, a fallen world. And as I like to say, or don't like to say, gravity is against us. So broken world in general, so we suffer in all different kinds of ways. But as Christians... We suffer in unique ways at times. Jesus said in John 15, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So, general suffering, everyone in this room. In one way or another, it might be really bad today, it might not be so bad today, but we all suffer. It's a common human experience. And sometimes we suffer extraordinarily because we've trusted in Jesus. So the Apostle Paul wants to help these believers see straight because reading in between the lines not between the lines reading the whole book they're having people tell them that christians shouldn't suffer and if you're really godly you're really blessed of god you're really on his side then you won't suffer and paul's saying that's nonsense and he's also saying ultimate relief ultimate comfort comes from the fact that we have trusted in Jesus who's been resurrected. And so, again, that's why I'm saying Captain Obvious. What's Christianity about? Christianity is about Christ. It's about his suffering. It's about his overcoming death and sin through resurrection, and he promises that to us. So it's a real simple message, but we're going to work our way through these verses so that we might find some encouragement, I hope. It starts with God, that's where we should start, where he says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bless God, let's say good things about him, let's praise him, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. God is worthy of being blessed even if he doesn't do anything for us, but that's for a different text. Here, he's saying, praise God, bless God, because while affliction is real, he comforts us supernaturally, extraordinarily. He consoles us. He encourages us. And what I think is so worth noting in this text, even though it's rather simple, is that little word, our. Blessed be the God and Father of, let's take our out for a second. Let's bless God the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of Jesus. He would only want what's best for His unique Son that He's extraordinarily loved from eternity past. Special, unique relationship the Father and the Son have. Think about that first unique, exceptional, extraordinary love relationship between father and son then I want you to introduce the word our he's our Lord Jesus Christ and so if he's our Lord Jesus Christ we have a special relationship with him and that's how we have the special relationship with his father who would only ever want good for him and now we're Moving. Now we can see that now God gives us, now He to us is the Father of all mercies. He doesn't give us condemnation. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He's the Father of all mercies to us. He's the Father of all mercies to us because of Christ. He's our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Father doesn't give us condemnation. He gives us justification. He gives us, He's the Father of all abundant, magnificent mercies. But it's because of Jesus. That he is this way toward us. And then when he says, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, just make sure you see it's because of our relationship to Christ by faith that now the Father is Father of all mercies, the Father of all comfort. It's grand. It's meant, to, it's meant to boost you. It's meant to encourage you. It's meant to, to, to cause you to bless God for what He's done for you in Christ. Amidst the turmoil against the hard stuff, against the conflict, against the, you name all the bad stuff in a fallen world, God to you is the God of all comfort. And we're going to see in the larger context, it's, it's because your ultimate hope is in Him and resurrection where the suffering ends. The God of all mercies, the God of all comfort. This is, this is grand. This is sure. This is extraordinary. We should be blessing God when we're thinking in these terms. God, this is a bad time in my life. This is a bad conflict. This is an extraordinary trial. God, I'm suffering Blessed be Him. Blessed be Him because He's provided a solution for you ultimately in Christ. There's an ending in sight. Probably the most extraordinary I keep saying extraordinary um, I I try to never say incredible because it lacks credibility so I'm always looking for synonyms that are kind of like it but you get the idea one of the most helpful teaching tools in addition to the Bible that Christians have utilized since the Protestant Reformation to help them see straight, to help them to be Captain Obviouses, to say it the wrong way, is the Heidelberg Catechism. Some of you have memorized the Heidelberg Catechism. I have not. But the very first question in the Heidelberg Catechism to help Christians think biblically, shorthand-wise, what is your only comfort in life And in death, it's good to have that be the first question that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. It's a great way to see straight about things. Second question What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Now, I like 2 Corinthians 1 better because it's inspired. But if you're trying to boil it down, what do we need to teach people so they're not easy prey? What do we need to teach people because life is filled with hardship and conflict and turmoil and pain We've got to help them see that their only hope in life, their only ultimate comfort is found in being united to Christ, the one who conquered suffering, sin, and the grave. Remember him. Keep it that simple. Verse 4 then turns outward. If we continue reading verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 1, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I probably had to read that a hundred times to to have the aha moment. I'm kind of slow on the uptake. So we have this extraordinary comfort from God, the Apostle Paul says, in Christ. And, And that causes us, he's saying to them, to be able to comfort other people who are afflicted. But that, that sounds good. I mean, it sounds, okay, I'm encouraged. Now let me encourage you because I've been encouraged. That, that's a truism and that's good. But I think he's saying more than that. Able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So let's think of the worst possible affliction anyone could be in. And now, how in the world could you be adequately equipped to comfort that person? And in our world, sometimes we say only if you've been through it yourself and there's a certain amount of empathy. Well, that's good, but that's not really what he's getting at here because he goes on to say in verse 4, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. My question is how in the world could you do that? So someone's going through a hard time, a severely hard time as some older Christians would say, a hard providence. I can comfort them with, what does it say? The comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God? I can can comfort that person with the same comfort that God gives? I don't think so. Unless. I mean, I'm just not capable, right? I haven't had enough training. I don't have enough letters behind my name. I don't have enough experiences. How could I possibly comfort them with the same comfort that God comforts us with? Only by telling them what God has done for them in Christ to solve their ultimate problem. It's the only... He has to have the gospel in view. He has to have verse 9 in view. He has to have the resurrection in view. Otherwise, that, that simply can't be a true statement unless we're equal with God and we're not. But what we can do is tell them what's true, what God has done for us in Christ. We we can tell them about the God who raises the dead in Christ. And He is our God, the God of all mercies, the God of all comfort, because of our relationship with Christ. And so now, even though I want to give you psychological comfort and encouragement, because that's good to do, I want to weep with those who weep. I want to rejoice with those who rejoice. I want to come alongside. I want to show acts of generosity and kindness and thoughtfulness. All of those are good Christian virtues that we would want to emphasize sometimes. I'm not saying either or, but I'm saying what he's saying here has got to be gospel truth. And now we can supernaturally comfort people with the comfort that only God gives. The tomb is empty. Christ has been raised from the dead, and he did what he did on behalf of everyone who would ever believe in him. I want to do so thoughtfully when I'm in the hospital room, and the mom is crying about what's happening to their child that they love so much. And I'm not going to be indifferent, I'm not going to preach a sermon. Please don't do that. But the only way I can ultimately talk to them and give them the comfort that only God gives, the same comfort that God gives, is to talk about Jesus who conquered the grave and everything along the way regarding suffering. It's the, it's the only comfort, if you mean in the ultimate sense. Do you see the profoundness of verse 4? Remember a couple of weeks ago we were in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus could not stay dead. And the reality is, if you believed in Jesus, you've received Christ and all of his benefits. You cannot stay dead. The ultimate comfort is found in the gospel. Let's do all the other kinds of comforting to the degree we can, but let's not avoid the obvious, because the obvious is the good news that there is an end in sight. Today's baptisms are just great, great pictures, great reminders, Lord's Supper, the end of the service, a great reminder. We're, we're just trying to emphasize the obvious. Christianity is about Christ. Being a Christian is about trusting in Christ, and that means suffering in the here and now, and I don't like that part so much. But it's about the victory in the end. This is nothing new, but we forget so easily. as as God's providence would have it, I was looking for something on the television this week for a game or something. And and there's like three religious stations all in a row with our cable provider. Uh, The the trifecta of badness, I guess. But it it just so happened that there was a celebrity, charismatic preacher on, and he looked like he was in great shape. He probably got great dental insurance based upon the way I I saw him I mean he had it going on he's flamboyant about how much money he has and and they they show him all over the world and all of these books and all the fame and fortune and it was I was instantly intrigued and and he talked about how he has this teaching where you should if you're sick you should take communion and if as long as you take communion in, in, in the right kind of faith and if you do it enough then you won't be sick anymore And again, I'm not the sharpest crayon in the box, but I knew instantly that guy's a liar. And you should know that too instantly. This is Captain Obvious. Suffering associated with being a Christian and in living in a fallen world until Christ returns and glorification takes place. We're remembering what Christ has accomplished, not being healthy, wealthy, and wise. But we forget so easily. That guy, that guy that I heard, eventually he's going to die. Why don't we learn? Why don't we learn? I'll never forget, I've told the story before, going to the vineyard in Anaheim, I think it was in Anaheim, California, and John Wimber, a famous charismatic preacher, professor of Fuller Seminary, wrote all these books, power healing, power evangelism, and it's all the health, wealth, prosperity kind of thing, and there is sad little John Wimber sitting in his wheelchair. And I'm thinking, power healing? And he had, I think, nasal cancer at the time, and he had to keep squirting his mouth because he couldn't really talk. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to speak of the dead, but the guy with the million dollar smile that I saw this week will end up in the same place as John Wimber. Dear Christians, Christians shouldn't be the most gullible people on the planet. Christians should remember the basics. There is suffering in a broken world, suffering extraordinarily associated with being a Christian sometimes. Glory, resurrection, new creation, heaven and earth, no more suffering happens when you see Christ and you're made like him. I need to stay off of cable TV. That's what I need to do. I kind of live in this bubble and think people just know this stuff. Like it's just so dumb and so obvious. Man, it's not. It's not at all. The Apostle Paul in one of his other writings, I love the cadence of it where he says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings... See, that's John 15, 20. Because we, we do. Christians do. Those guys are... The, the Corinthians are thinking they don't. And Paul's is saying, get, a, get real. We do. As we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. I don't like that part. But then he says, So through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Well, how could that be? Because some psychological mind trick? No, because of resurrection. That's how. It's the only way it could possibly work. Verse 6, If we are afflicted, and they are, Paul and company, it is for your comfort and salvation. We're being faithful here to comfort you and uphold the legitimate Christianity regarding how suffering and glorification works. And if we are comforted, And they are because of the sureness of Christ's resurrection. It is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure. I love those two words because that has an end in view. If you're patiently enduring something, there's an end in view. The same sufferings that we suffer. Then verse 7. Our hope for you is unshaken. So Paul's optimistic that They're being misled, but he's optimistic that they're going to hear the obvious and come around and respond and not listen to the false teachers. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know, there's strong confidence, that as you share in our sufferings, for speaking the truth, by the way, I think is what he's getting at here, you will also share in our comfort, the kind that only comes from God in Christ verse 8 for we do not want you to be unaware brothers of the affliction we experienced in Asia let's just stop there for a moment and we'll get things rolling again most commentators think that, that he's bringing this up here as a full kind of in your face um, response to the false apostles the false apostles are saying you know if you're suffering God isn't for you God isn't blessing you um, if you're if people are not responding positively to the gospel it's because you have a wrong gospel or you have a you're wrong yourself and so it's always about putting on a good face it's always about the right optics it's always about external success and the apostle paul seems to hear seems here to go right after that and say i'm not ashamed to tell you about my hardships in fact i want to tell you about my hardships and how god even uses them okay it's not about optics it's about faithfulness to him. In chapter 4, he's going to get into that where he's committed to having the right message and God uses the right message to accomplish his purposes. But for here, let's read it kind of in that, in that way. For we do not want you to be unaware. We're not trying to hide anything to, sh- to say we, we had such success, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. If it was an evangelistic crusade, we didn't have any decisions. Okay? It was a total failure. He'll write elsewhere, all who are in Asia have forsaken me. I mean, I, I, let me just be upfront and honest. It, it, was a, it was a cosmic fail of suffering. Opposition. Really? Not good optics. How about verse 8 where it goes on to say, For we were so utterly burdened. Think about hardship in life, think about difficulties, whether it's for preaching Christ or for something else, so utterly burdened, right, that the, the drowning effect, the, the burden, I can't get this weight off of me, it's in, intolerable, and, and, and I, I, I'm at my wit's end, it's awful and terrible, for we were so utterly burdened, weighed down, overwhelmed, beyond our strength, that we despised of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He's using such strong terminology, it could be that they actually were sentenced to be executed. That's the verbiage he's using, but he also may be using that verbiage to make the point about how bad. And I want to encourage you today whether it's because you're a Christian or all of the other hard providences in life, the extraordinary, severe, overwhelming challenges. And then I want you to see verse 9 where it goes on to say, but that was to make us rely not upon ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. That's where my yellow highlighter went. To rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's one thing I could do to try to encourage you. It would just be to echo those words. Why is this trial happening? I don't know a lot of times. Why is the trial getting worse? Why are my trials worse than other people's trials? Why am I feeling so defeated? Why is it so awful? Why, 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 why? Maybe some of the whys are going to get answered in this life or or maybe in the next life. But there's at least one, there's at least one thing if we're trusting in a God who is sovereign, who loves us because we're in Christ. He's our Savior, therefore He's the God of all mercies to us and the God of all comfort to us. We can at least say, here's one reason why. And it's to get us to rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. That's where all comfort comes from. That's been driving this whole thing. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we hear God's Word preached, we hear about Jesus, we we see the empty cross, we sing, we fellowship together. One great thing is when it's about Christ, it's reminding us. God raises the dead. Let's rely upon the God who raises the dead. Can't rely upon, in the end, the doctors. Can't rely on, in the end, medicine. Can't rely on, in the end, my closest relationships. I can't rely on anything in the end, even though I can enjoy a lot of those things along the way. In the end, I've got to rely upon the God who raises the dead. I'm thankful to come to Omaha Bible Church this morning because it helps me to recalibrate helps me to get, to get things straight again to jump off the treadmill of confusion and disillusionment and pain and suffering and to at least have my little hour of, of, of sanity let's remember we, we need to rely upon the God who raises the dead your only capital C comfort in life and death is found in him. It's So obvious. But I need you to tell me that. I need you to help me with that. The Lord knows we need help with that. That's why we have these pictures. That's why we have, do this in remembrance of me until I come again. Because we are prone to wonder, as the songwriter says, Lord, I feel it. Verse 10 then says, let's wrap this up. For he delivered us from such a deadly peril. Now, I think Paul has Asia in mind there. He delivered us from from that. So he saved us, he delivered us, he set us free there. And he will deliver us. I think that's ultimately. So he gave us a, a temporary reprieve of deliverance, but he will deliver us in the ultimate sense. On him, we have set our hope, our confidence Frequently used in the New Testament by Paul and other apostles apostles of resurrection. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Ultimate deliverance. That's the God of all comfort. Verse 11 then says, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many which I think is fascinating. Pray for us that we will be faithful. Pray for us that we'll continue to emphasize this. Pray for this. But ultimately, pray for us so that many will give thanks. Pray for us so that we can have this kind of ministry so that many will join us in chapter 1, verse 3, blessing God. So it is God word, even the way he ends it. Pray for us that we would help people with this because it will help them because it's the only true ultimate comfort but also it's what magnifies God in His greatness. They'll give God thanks because He's that kind of God worthy of that kind of praise. Martin Luther is known for talking about people who are theologians of glory or people who are theologians of the cross. And it's more complicated and sophisticated than we want to get into this morning before lunch. He despised theologians of glory. What he wanted to be and wanted other people to be are theologians of the cross. And what he, in a sense, I'm being too simple here, is theologians who see everything through the lens of Christ. The person of Christ, the work of Christ. Theologians of the cross, where your hope is found, where comfort is found. Where boasting in Him is found, not in glory and what you do and what you accomplish and do more and try harder and look at this. No, the way to true glorification, He's not against glorification, resurrection is found in the theology of the cross. We see everything through the lens of Christ. So everyone is a theologian because everyone has an opinion about God, even atheists. Let's be good theologians. Let's be theologians of the cross so we can be helped ourselves with supernatural comfort that comes from the God who raises the dead and we can also be good neighbors to others and good fellow believers helping them to see everything through the lens of Christ, the resurrected one, the Savior who can be trusted. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for the Lord Jesus. We know that he is mighty and powerful to save. We know that he showed himself to us to be a gracious, loving Savior, saying, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. We are grateful to know that we can find rest in Christ. We look forward to the, to the day where there is no longer any false teaching regarding Christ, but we know that until he returns, it will probably continue. So help us to do our part to proclaim the truth, to proclaim the truth to one another, to proclaim the truth to those around us, that Christ might be exalted, that God might be blessed truly because indeed He is the God of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Certainly, comfort us and encourage us through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.